Mac Power Users, episode 355, the iPad as Mac replacement. Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks, along with my pal, Katie Floyd. How are you today, Katie Floyd? I'm well, David. How are you? Excellent. This is a show we've been talking about now for several months, and um, I'm glad we're finally able to publish it because I've been thinking about this a lot. Apple lately has been trying to sell the iPad Pro as a laptop replacement. And the question is, is it a laptop replacement? And uh, I've spent a lot of time using one as a laptop replacement for several months. I know you're using your iPad Pro quite a bit, too. And uh, to give you the spoiler, I guess I would say the answer to that question really depends. But uh, the point of this show is to kind of get into the weeds a little bit and talk about where the iPad works and does not work in the role of a traditional Mac. Um, before we get started, there's a, there's a couple kind of nuances to this show. There's a group of folks out there who are who are not, no longer using their Mac and they're just using an iPad. Federico Vitici famously has been doing that for a while now. and um, and there's really those people fall into two categories. You've got the the folks that are doing it just to be on the sharp end of the stick, which is like Federico. I mean, he's just trying to figure out. I think he's trying to prove a point and also just he prefers to work on iOS. But there's also a group of people out there that are doing this because they have less um, stringent computer needs. Uh, a good example of that is my sister, who is uh, never going to listen to an episode of the Mac Power Users in her life. That's so sad. Yeah, you know, my family, they just, they don't get it. They don't get what a nerd I am. And my family doesn't either. But but either way, um, she has had Macs for many, many years, and she was using my iPad Pro to edit photos at a a family event about six months ago. And then when her birthday came three months ago, she said, okay, I just want to get an iPad Pro and I I don't need my Mac anymore. She came to that conclusion on her own. Because she's a kind of person who does things like gets on the web, answers some email, like a, a, a moderate amount of email, Facebook, you know, photo editing, just the real basic stuff. And for her, it, those people going iPad only um, is because it's, you know, for a lot of reasons, we're going to talk about how simple it is and everything. But I don't really think she's a person that listens to Mac Power users. So the question really of this show is. Do Mac Power users have the option of using the iPad as a Mac replacement? And that is the interesting question to talk about. Um, so why don't we start uh, with a little bit of history on all of this? You know, we, we've had the iPad now a little over five years. And when it started out, it was it was definitely a limited device. <laughs> I mean, and, and you were an iPad day one adopter, weren't you, David? I mean, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've been waiting for it my whole life. I mean, since Captain Picard had his pad and probably even before that. And everybody knows my famous story of chasing the UPS guy for my iPad, right? I don't think you've ever shared that story, Katie Floyd. Oh, I shared that on the Mac Roundtable the day the iPad came out. I never I've never shared that on a Mac Power Users. OK, give us the short version. What you do? Are you ready for the story? It's a great story. All right. So I went to bed. So the iPad came out the Saturday before Easter and which was an odd thing. And I went to bed that Friday night very, very upset because according to Apple's tracking information, my iPad was still in Kentucky. And if that was true, there was no way that my iPad was going to be delivered as promised on Saturday. And as we know now, that was kind of the beginning of Apple 
intentionally delaying some of their tracking details and information because otherwise there would be these crazed geeks that would start stalking their UPS and FedEx drivers. So I went to bed upset. I woke up first thing that morning, looked at at my iPhone at the time that I kept by my bedside, and still as of, you know, seven o'clock that morning, my iPad was still in Kentucky. I live in Florida. So I just was so mad my iPad was not going to be delivered that day. And I will say for the record, UPS typically comes later in the day. Typically, they don't come until sometime between three and and five o'clock. So I got up, I got in the shower, mad, and I'm just getting out of the shower. I'm just drying off and I hear something and I can't be really sure what I hear but it kind of sounds, at that point I was living in a, in a condo, was living in this house that, that had a, a gate. You had to open a gate to get to my front door. And it kind of sounded like the sound of the gate closing. You were like hyper alert for your Apple gear. I was. And I realized, it took like a split second to realize there's somebody at my front door. And so I'm sopping wet. I managed to get myself satisfactorily clothed. I run down a flight of stairs, manage somehow not to kill myself, run to the front door, and there's the yellow UPS tag. Sorry, we missed you. I then run with bare feet out into (laughs) the parking lot of the condo complex, down the ways, and stop the UPS driver before he pulls out of the complex and get my iPad. Well, good for you. (laughs) And I think I made an impression on him. (laughs) A woman that knows what she wants. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, the first iPad really was, I think, uh, a revolutionary uh, device. I, you know, I, I can't say that enough. I, I do feel like a lot of this is the future of computing. I wrote that book for Wiley Press back in the day called iPad at Work. And uh, before Federico was blogging, I was using the iPad almost exclusively in my day job, trying to find workflows and ways to make it work to, to write that book. And then I was running into all sorts of roadblocks. And and that's really been the story of this this iPad. It started out as an extended iPhone with a bigger screen. And over time, it's it's turning into something of its own. I think the background noise for all of this is that Apple is very much a believer in the iPad form factor. I mean, I know, you know, we've heard the kind of the stories in the rumor mill that Tim Cook relies on his iPad a great deal to get his job done. I mean, it's a great executive device when you think about it. And I think that, you know, as we've we've had shows recently talking about where it seems like they're not being super aggressive with developing the Mac, um, they are being aggressive with iOS and the iPad and the iPhone. And I believe that they, they view that as the future of their devices, that, you know, down the road, it's going to be a thing. So that raises the question for the people listening to this show, you know, someone who's a Mac power user, um, are you going to be able to reliably get your work done with one of these things instead of a Mac? Um, so, so my experiment, and it wasn't really an intentional experiment. What, what happened was last year, about this time, I guess a little earlier than this time, I bought the iPad pro because it came out and I'm a nerd. And of course I bought one and I had a laptop. And I found that I was able to do a great deal of my work on the iPad Pro that I wasn't, you know, that more more so than I'd ever been able to do on an iPad. And then I kind of had the hallelujah moment one day when I opened up, there an, an update came out for the Mac. And I opened up my MacBook to update the software. 
And there was a letter on there that was weeks old that I had, you know, hadn't been using it in essence. So I said, well, you know, maybe I'm doing this without even realizing it. And, and it's important to note for me that it was a second Mac. You know, I, I'm not going the Federico route and just giving up my Mac. I need it for a lot of things. And we're going to talk about that later in the show. But as a second device, as the portable device, the iPad, I found without even really trying uh, to be sufficient in a lot of ways. And ultimately, that experiment didn't work for me. Um, uh, as I when, once I gave the the Mac to my daughter, then I started running to what I call the uh, the the perilous course of parlor tricks. You know, where you start saying, "Okay, I'm doing this now, so I'm going to do it, and I'm going to try and find a way to do everything with it." And you start spending so much time doing that. And ultimately, um, as I explained in a recent show about the MacBook Pros, there were some things that weren't working right for me. We'll talk about that more here. Uh, but I had to get a Mac in, in in the long run anyway. But it really was pretty close for me. I mean, I'm pretty close to the point where it could have worked, except for largely software problems uh, or what, what held me up. So, and everybody listening to this show is going to be somewhere on that spectrum. I mean, there's going to be people listening to the show that have already switched to the iPad as a secondary or a sole device, and they're getting by just fine. People like my sister, for instance. And then there's going to be other people where the iPad isn't even close for them. And when I kind of asked about this on Twitter and on the show, we've got some email from some listeners that are doing very specific things on their Macs that just are not possible. A good example is we heard from a software developer um, listener. He says, look, I need Xcode. And Xcode doesn't run on the iPad. Therefore, the iPad will never replace my Mac until it does. It's funny. You can't actually create iPad apps on an iPad. Well, that's, you know, it, that's not unusual. Um, back in the day, you needed stronger hardware to make software for computers. Um, but, and I think ultimately at some point the iPad is going to be, I don't know if this is the, the digital equivalent of becoming self-aware or whatever, but at some point the, the iPad is going to be able to develop software for it. I mean, they've taken the first step already with the playgrounds that they've installed, which are pretty neat, by the way, if you haven't, if you haven't played with those. But the uh, like one of the problems I was talking to a, a developer said one of the big problems is Xcode has massive amounts of resource files. It just uses a lot of data just to keep everything that Xcode needs to build its apps. And, and the iPad hardware probably isn't up to the job yet. But um, but but that's just an example. Um, but what I want you to do now before we get into the show in earnest is jump into your your digital TARDIS, you know, and say, What's going to happen five years or 10 years from now? Just think about the natural progression of iPad hardware and iPad software and the integration between them. And just try and imagine what kind of hardware we're going to have. I mean, we're already hearing rumors that the new iPad that comes out later, early next year, um, will be something that is going to be more edge to edge and have more screen real estate. But Maybe in five or 10 years, you know, we'll have the 27 inch iPad sitting on your desk or we'll have, you know, just let your imagination run wild. I mean, I, I think if you give Apple five or 10 years on this stuff, this stuff is going to progress a lot. And and that um, that continuum that we're all sitting on now is going to change. You know, maybe Xcode will show up, maybe Final Cut will show up. And suddenly um, people that it's a non-starter for them now uh, will find themselves somewhere on that spectrum where an iPad may, may be the solution for them. So anyway, I think I've been talking a lot, but the, my point is that this is a moving target. But what we wanted to do right now at the end of 2016 
is get our arms around where it can and cannot work as a Mac replacement. I want to welcome a new sponsor to Mac Power users, and that is Agenda Minder. And a meeting is only as good as their agenda, and you can go check it out over at internodal.xyz slash MPU or in the Mac App Store. So these days there are more meetings than ever. Bad meetings are a huge waste of time, and good meetings only come from planning, usually by you. Agenda Minder is an app for the Mac that will help you make meetings better. Agenda Minder is a personal productivity tool for you to plan what you need to talk about in your meetings and help you focus on what you want to accomplish. Agenda Minder stays out of the way with simple controls and a clean look, and you can quickly add meetings and agenda items, capturing the objective and any preparation notes that you need, knowing that all of this upfront work will help things run more smoothly in your meeting. You can quickly find the right meeting by sorting them by name or by date. And with their easy-to-use filters, they'll show you what's coming up today, this week, or what's next. Agenda Minder was created by a 20-plus year experienced Fortune 50 manager who got tired of being in meetings and wasting all of their time. Simple preparation greatly improves meetings, and Agenda Minder is the tool that fixed this for the developer, and now it can fix it for you too. So Jerry, here are a few things that Agenda Minder can do for you. It can let you quickly capture topics for your meetings all in one place, so you'll always be prepared for those tricky questions. It will allow you to easily send an agenda items out to everyone involved for your upcoming meeting, so everybody knows what's on the table and you can help stay on topic. You can be confident that you can have a great meeting because you are prepared, and you know that everybody else knows exactly what to expect. And Agenda Minder was recently updated to import meetings directly from your calendar. You already know that a meeting is only as good as the agenda. So make improving meeting preparation a goal for the next year and try Agenda Minder to help you reach that goal. Agenda Minder is increasing in price soon, so you want to act now before the price increases. You can check that out over at internodal.xyz slash MPU. That's I-N-T-E-R-N-O-D-A-L dot X-Y-Z slash MPU. You can also find Agenda Minder in the Mac App Store. My thanks to Agenda Minder for their support of Mac Power users and all of Relay FM. So, David, let's talk about what's good. I mean, um, there are a lot of things to love about an iPad. I know a lot of people questioned the iPad when it initially came out about, you know, where does it fit in the lineup? And, you know, I love my iPad. I was using my iPad just today in court at a table where everybody else in the room was using, I think they were using primarily PCs, but everybody else in the room was using big bulky computers. And, I didn't feel, you know, handicapped at all by that. And I thought about you knowing that we were we were going to do this show today. So there, there are a lot of good things about an iPad and a lot of features that have come iPad first that haven't come and probably won't come to the Mac. Yeah. And it's so what I did was as I was using this thing and once I became about three or four months ago is when I said, OK, we're going to do this show is I opened up an Apple note. And just started writing things down. Every time something made me smile or made me angry, I wrote it down. And I came up with this list of things. Um, and I, I'd like to start, I think one of the best reasons, and, and this is, I guess, when you say the good parts, what is the reason you even want to go through this nonsense? You know, you're used to using your Mac, you're used to using your laptop. Why would you even want to consider replacing it with an iPad? I think one of the best reasons is 
assuming you buy the one with the the uh, wireless internet connection, uh, you can have an always-on internet connection in your device. And that is super useful for someone that's been carrying around a laptop for a long time. Yeah, there are always these rumors that we're going to see a 3G or an, I guess now an LTE connection on the um, on the laptops. I don't know that we're going to. I think Apple has made tethering very easy. In fact, I was in situations both yesterday and today where I had to use my laptop but didn't have reliable uh, Wi-Fi connection and tethered quite a bit. And I think they've made that easy enough, although they haven't built in necessarily good management for it yet. So I've had to use a third-party app like Trip Mode. But I, I think they've basically said if you if you want internet wherever, it's going to be on iOS. Yeah, and, and you know, just getting back to what I said at the beginning, I really believe the focus at Apple, and every company has to have focus, is really on the iOS devices. I don't see them pouring a ton of engineering resources into figuring out how to make Macs always internet-connected devices. If that's what you want, they're going to say, well, then you should buy an iPad. And whether or not that's the right answer or not, I think that's what the reality we're living with. And right now, today, you can get any size iPad with um, an always-on internet connection. And I find that extraordinarily useful um, because it's just always there and it's always available. And that's been a priority from day one. That was available with the with the very first iPad, although if I remember correctly, the, the 3G-enabled iPads, because they were 3G at the time, did ship maybe a month or so, a couple of months after the, the Wi-Fi iPads, but they were announced at the same time. Yeah, it, well, it's always been, it's been designed into it. And not only is it designed into the hardware, it's also designed in the software. Like Katie was talking about how she needs trip mode to um, to make sure that, and trip mode is a great little utility for a Mac. And when you connect your Mac to your phone, it's a way to say, okay, I don't want the photos app to do a photos dump. And I don't want Dropbox to send a terabyte of data down to me. And you can turn a bunch of those types of services that are data hogs off. So you don't burn through all your digital bits the first time you, you connect to your, your Mac. Well, the reason you have to have an app like trip mode is because the operating system doesn't know any better when you connect to a, a tether it's just like being on wi-fi to the mac so it, it subjects you to all these problems there is not an app like trip mode for the ipad and uh the primary reason being you don't need it because the way the software and the operating system is engineered it's not a data hog i mean you don't have dropbox doing stuff in the background you have to go into dropbox to make things happen and um and that's really a, a huge difference uh, in the day-to-day operation of the device. I would say another thing that I really like about the iPad, another reason to consider it is battery performance. Um, we've got these new MacBooks. Katie's having, uh, I guess you're still having problems with your battery, right? Yes. In fact, I just unplugged, uh, did I tell you I'm running this podcast on battery mode? Um, long story. I just unplugged my uh, laptop to record this podcast and uh, immediately my battery life said uh, three hours is my estimate. Yeah, I don't know what's going on with that. I am um, my 15 inch MacBook Pro. I, I ran yesterday thinking about you. I, I kept it off the 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 plug all day, and I was working off site, so I I actually had the laptop with me. I was there for nine hours, and the battery was pretty low when I left, but it was still there was still gas in the tank. But you know, there's articles now that several people are complaining about battery life on the new MacBook Pro. So, but the point of all this is an iPad on an iPad, you get what's on the 10. When it says 10 hours of battery life, you get 10 hours of battery life. And um, 
that's really nice because you really don't have to think about power. It's just almost always there. And I know that I'm not probably as heavy as an iPad user as you are, David, but I go days without charging my iPad. It's something that I don't think about. I have a a charger and and here's a tip get a, get at least one long charger and you can buy them on Amazon or or wherever but one of those like nice 6 foot chargers and I keep that next to my bed so I can you know snake snake it around down by um you mean a cable? I'm sorry. Yes. Yes. Get at least one long. I was like a six foot charger. What? What? That is. That's yeah, some serious. That's some major right charger. There. I'm sorry. A six foot charging cable, and I snake mine down. Um, you know, behind my nightstand, and I, I keep that by my bed. And I actually have one that has both a um, one of those micro USB tips that will then convert to lightning, so I can record uh, charge a bunch of devices there at my bedstand. But. Um, that I, I sit there and I charge my iPad maybe every couple of days when I look at it and it tends to drop below 50% or so is when I think about charging it in. But a lot of nights when I put it down, I, you know, I just don't even think about plugging it in. You get more battery life with it and it's easier to charge in a jam. You know, we've talked, I think in our holiday show, we talked about getting some, some little external batteries. They're very cheap. You know, you can get a decent one as low as like 15 bucks and spend more depending on capacity, but I've got, I bought several of them and I keep them. I keep one in my backpack and one in my briefcase and one in my glove box. So I've got those things around me in my life. And the technology has got to a point where you can charge it and leave it for a month or two without really losing any significant charge out of it. So not only do you get reliably 10 hours, if for some reason you're about to expire that 10 hours, with very little weight, you can have extra battery life with you. Whereas with a laptop, it's it's a much bigger proposition. You need to plug it in or you need to have a, a significantly larger battery in order to give that juice on the road. So uh, just the whole power issue is solved by an iPad in ways that is just not possible on a Mac. Right. One of the other big factors is cost. Uh, a lot of people are screaming right now about how effectively the cost to get into a MacBook Pro and the cost to get into an Apple computer in general has gone up. A lot of that related to the retina displays on the machines and um, a lot of those types of things. But the cost for getting into an iPad has stayed relatively consistent ever since the devices were launched. Now, you can certainly deck out an iPad Pro and get yourself up to over $1,000, but you can also get into an iPad for several hundred as well. And, and just, I mean, the obvious thing about it, I don't know why I wrote this down, but it's portable. I mean, it is just so much more portable than even a 13 inch or even just the, the bare bones MacBook. I mean, the iPad is almost nothing but a screen. And that is a, that's super beneficial. I mean, I, to this day, I, even though I did buy a MacBook Pro, when I do my client meetings and stuff, I don't bring it with me. Just the little iPad is perfect for that. And it takes almost no room in my bag. Um, it's way more portable. Well, I was going to say another feature about it is the ease of maintaining it, especially if this not, you know, if it's not necessarily your device, that may not be such a big issue. But if this is a device for someone like your sister or someone like my mother or a child, um, you're not going to have to constantly worry about viruses and malware and up software updates and those types of things. For the most part, you can set an iPad and an iOS device to take care of itself. Yeah, well, it just, I mean, it, look at that in a bigger context. And I know this is going to be probably a recurring theme in the show is the simplicity of the operation of the iPad is a definitely a benefit. There's detrimental parts of it, but there's a benefit. As an example, uh, so I have a new MacBook Pro. We talked about it last couple episodes ago. 
I installed um, Dragon uh, Professional on it recently, and I once I was done, I I um I what do you call it? I ejected the disk image. You know, you create a disk image and you install from there. And now, for some reason, uh, randomly once a day, the disk image reappears on my desktop. <laughs> and I don't know why. And I've ejected it. Um, sometimes it happens when the app is running for three, because I'm always dictating. So it's not like as soon as I start the app, it shows up. It just shows up randomly within three or four hours of me starting using the app. And then this morning I got up and there were two disk images on my desktop of the Dragon installer. And I don't know what's going on with it. I'm going to have to spend time figuring that out. And if you think about owning a Mac, there's a a list of a million little things like this that you've dealt with over the years, because there's always some little thing like this, right? Um, you have to get apps, you know, to manage things like making sure it doesn't use up too much wireless bandwidth. I mean, there's all these little tweaks you do. That's in a lot of ways. That's why we have this show. Um, most of that stuff goes out the window with an iPad. I mean, I have, even though I use the dragon anywhere app there, I've never had a disc image showed up on my iPad that I didn't want. I just, once I installed the app, it just worked from then on and I didn't have to do anything. Um, you know, maintenance not only is making sure the utilities work right, it's also troubleshooting. I mean, there's, in essence, I wrote this in the iPad field guide, or I'm sorry, the iPad at work book years ago, but there's three steps to troubleshooting an iPad, right? Okay, the first one is, if it's not working, for some reason, quit the app and then restart it, you know, double tap and then swipe up to make it go away, then restart it. Most of the time that solves the problem. And okay, so if that doesn't work, then there's step two. Step two is you turn the iPad off entirely and then you start it again. Um, I had a thing going on recently uh, with my iPad where I was working in OmniFocus and it seemed like it was taking a super long time to scroll between tasks. You know, like when you're going through your morning routine, you're like, okay, I'm going to do this one. I'm going to give this one a flag. I'm going to push this one to next week. When I would hit that down arrow, it would take a super long time to do it. And I'm like, what's going on with OmniFocus? And I I tried to recompile my database. And I was like, I was trying to troubleshoot this problem on my iPad. And I went over to my Mac to try and fix it. it. Nothing was fixing it. And then I went in to change the wallpaper on something entirely different. And it took forever for the wallpaper to show up. And then I asked myself, when is the last time I turned this iPad off? And my guess is at least two or three months ago, I can't remember the last time that I turned it off. So I said, you know, dummy, you know, that's, I wrote the book. I should know. The second step is you turn the iPad off. So I turned the iPad off entirely. And then I booted it up again. And then all of a sudden, OmniFocus is flying through tasks. I press the buttons and I can select wallpapers, you know, but that's a long story to tell you. The second thing is you turn it off, you turn back on again. And then the third thing you do, if that doesn't fix it, is you take it to Apple. I mean, that's all there is involved with troubleshooting. Well, you could you could restart this. You could reinstall the software. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, there's almost nothing to do to fix this thing, and and it should generally work for you. With the Mac, there's a lot more to it. Um, so that's another real good reason to want to switch over. But there's more. You want to talk about the next one? Well, the screen is is gorgeous. It's all just screen. And I like that. I mean, what do you think about these rumors of the iPad getting even bigger? You know, there being a, a like a, a step in between the 9.7 and the 12.9 inch? 
Um, well, I don't know if that's replacing the 9.7. As I understand it, the rumor is it's about the it's about the size of a 9.7, but they got rid of a bunch of the border, so it's almost edge to edge. Um, so it may just be a new body style, but I'm all for them being experimental with the iPad. Um, I think they should be, you know, there's a, you know, there's the 13 inch iPad. There should be a 15 inch one. Maybe there should be a 20 inch one. Maybe there should be one that's intended to be used on a desktop. That's, that's like a big platter, you know, give us that instead of the drafting table, iMac, give us the drafting table, um, iPad. I fully expect Apple to be experimenting with this stuff and getting back into that that technology TARDIS going five to 10 years from now, as the operating system and the software becomes more robust and, and powerful, and these chips get even more powerful, I fully expect this thing to be doing amazing things that it can't do right now. So I, I take a little different stance on that. I, I, I don't know where I stand. I feel a little bit right now like the line is is already a little too fragmented and people are having trouble figuring out what they want. I mean, if you if you look at it right now, we've got iPads pretty much at every price point at every hundred dollars starting at what is it, two ninety nine um, and going up to to wherever wherever you like to go from there. Um, and it, it feels like um, it feels a little confusing. Well, what size do you want? And then what screen do you want? And then do you want pro or do you want regular? It it feels like it's getting a little confusing and a little fragmented at this point. I was kind of a fran, fan of the grid system, but. Well, I understand where you're coming from, but I think also a lot of us like people in the, in the business don't give people enough credit. I mean, most people know pretty much what they want. And, and I think the advice that we've always given is pretty good. The default should be the 9.7. But if you want it small, then get the small one. Or if you want it big, get the big one. It's not a, a super hard decision to make. My um, my wife and daughter both have minis. And my second daughter has announced that for Christmas, she would like a mini as well. And I said, okay, you don't want the one with the pencil or anything? She says, no, I want it that can fit in my purse. I'm like, okay, well, I get it. So it, it was not a difficult decision for her. <laughs> you know, she saw dad's two and she saw her sister's one and she wants the same size as her sister. So I, I don't know, but I, I do feel like that Apple needs to push the envelope with this stuff. And I would love to see them get a little more aggressive and a, a little more experimental as, as things progress. The, the hang up right now that I'm going to talk about as we get through the show is software. I think the biggest problem with the iPad is software. And until you fix that, you can't go crazy, but I think they will get it fixed. And at that point, um, I see some interesting future for the iPad, but the screen, you know, getting back to your point, the screen is beautiful. I mean, the screen on this iPad is amazing. The, um, the natural color that I think they call it the true tone color where it automatically matches the temperature of the room. I love looking at this thing. And the big one as well. I think part of the reason why I was able to um, to throw the MacBook overboard is because the big iPad screen and even the the medium iPad screen is so much better than the MacBook screen, at least the MacBook that I had. It's so much easier on the eyes to read. And that's a big deal for me. So um, so they, they do have beautiful screens. Uh, the, the next point in its favor, and I'll, I'll get through these a little faster now, but those those were the big ones. Um, software management updates and new purchases are just so much easier on this thing, right? I mean, you, you, there's a downside to this as well because you're stuck with Apple's sandbox, but but it is awful easy to install and manage software on an iPad. And what about the Apple Pencil? That's been a big point for you 
Not so much for me, and it's really only available on the the two model of iPad, the 9.7-inch Pro and the 12.9-inch Pro. Yeah, but there's no Apple Pencil for the Mac, and it would never make sense. If you're a person that thinks that could be helpful to you, it's a huge push in the direction of the iPad. I don't think it's a, a it doesn't work for you. We figured that out. But it works for me, and I'm not an artist. It works for me in the sense that I spend a lot of time, the, the type of work I do involves lots of long documents being sent to me that I need to read, you know, under penalty of malpractice to make sure that they're right. And um, so I spend a lot of time reading these documents, marking these documents up. That's the nature of my day job. So I'm a perfect um, specimen for that. It isn't for you. The type of work you do really doesn't do that so much. Um, and, and you know, I'm not an artist, but there are artists out there. So it depends what you do. I mean, so much of this depends on what you do. But if you could see yourself using that pencil, that's a that's a huge push in the direction of, of trying to use an iPad instead of a Mac. Right. Now, you have presentations as a the good part of an iPad. And, and I understand that you give quite a few presentations off your iPad. I almost consider that a con of the iPad because I, I find it very fiddly still to give a presentation off the iPad. Yeah. And, and, you know, we'll do maybe this is a future show because there's so much to cover. But I have a remote that reliably works with it. Um, I have the necessary adapters and dongles to connect it to virtually anything uh, with the size, especially the big iPad Pro. If I go to a room to give a talk and I can just get a, a flat surface anywhere to set that down, I can I can put presenter mode on. I've got my remote. I can plug in. I can give my presentation. And I've got very proficient at making presentations on the iPad as well. So I consider it a fantastic presentation device. And that's one of the parts of the iPad that still feels very fiddly to me. Fiddly because of the hoops that you have to jump through to make it work. Fiddly because of the areas where I don't personally find it very compelling to make presentations using Keynote on the iPad. Um, and it, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a downside for me. But if it works for you. Yeah, that's good. And later in the outline, I've got a section on dealing with kind of the standard business work type stuff. And we can kind of talk back and forth on some of that. A couple of the other reasons I, I really like it, but these are getting more personal. Like I said earlier, document review. It's just an amazing device for that. I would never give it up at this point. Um, and uh, photo edits, I think, are super easy on the iPad. And, and I have not edited photos on my Mac since I got the iPad Pro. And there's more. And and I'd like people to write in because we're going to have um, I'd like to get some feedback from folks. I don't know if we get enough of it. Maybe we'll even um, give it a special segment in a future feedback show or something. But I'd love to hear from some iPad Pro users talking about what they're doing with it and why it works or doesn't work, because this is such new territory for everyone. But, you know, document edits, photo edits. But the, the underlying point I have here is that thing we felt the first time we turned an iPad on and started using it sitting on a couch. It's a reason why Steve Jobs first demonstrated it sitting in a comfy chair. It's there's a fundamental delight you get from just a piece of glass that you don't get from a laptop or a traditional Mac. And I can't really quantify this, but it is real. And I feel it. I think Katie feels it to a certain extent. Some people don't. If you don't feel that delight, then it's not you're probably not going to be someone who wants to try and replace your Mac with one of these. But there is a delight to it. And I, I wanted to say that without really <laughs> describing it, because you either get it or you don't with that. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by PDF Pen from Smile Software. 
Take control of PDFs on your Mac, iPad, and iPhone with PDF Pen. If you spend any time with PDFs, you're going to quickly realize the limits of the built-in preview application. It's great for viewing PDFs, but that's about it. With PDF Pen, you can do so much more. You can automatically perform optical character recognition on your PDFs, so it can turn that picture of text into actual text for you. With PDF Pen, you can even go in and edit those OCR results. Another great feature in PDF Pen is the ability to export to Word format. So if someone sends you a PDF that you want to edit, you can just convert it into a Microsoft Word document. You do this by just pressing one button in PDF Pen. I love this feature and I use it so often. But that's not all. PDF Pen also has great signing features. You can store the PDFs in iCloud or some other cloud storage. And PDF Pen also gives you a full complement of editing tools. So you can draw, highlight, scribble, correct text, Put simply, you can perform any edit you're ever going to need with PDF Pen. It even has the ability to redact personal information from a PDF before sending it on. The gang at Smile's been around a long time and put a lot of effort into PDF Pen over the years. It's a fully mature PDF application. Because they have versions available for the Mac, iPad, and iPhone, you can perform all of these services using any Apple device. We love Smile and PDF Pen, and it creates a great addition to your digital tool belt. So the holidays are upon us, and I'd like to recommend you considering purchasing some Smile products for those people in your life. If you've got a friend or loved one that hasn't found Text Expander yet, get them signed up and give them the gift of time. You can even make it easier for them by sharing some of your snippet groups with their new sharing features, or share some of the public snippet groups, like some of mine that I've shared already at TextExpander.com. For your friends that are looking to get better at managing digital documents, give them the Swiss Army knife that is PDF Pen. To learn more, head over to SmileSoftware.com and check out PDF Pen and Text Expander. And thank you, Smile, for supporting the Mac Power users. Well, you've been going on for quite a while now with your your love affair with the iPad and all of the the wonderful parts. But but there are some fiddly bits, and that is probably you know playing devil's advocate here. That is probably a, a piece where people like me who are a little more um, timid about using the iPad as a second Mac or replacing our laptop with an iPad. These are some of the things that kind of keep us from from going all into the iPad lifestyle. And for me, one of the big issues is I feel like, especially with the iPad Pro, the last couple of years, we have seen the iPad continue to grow in leaps and bounds from a hardware perspective, but it really feels like the software has not kept up. And I know for as advanced machines as these are, it's still amazing what it, the software can do but it, it feels like the hardware has really outpaced the software here. Yeah, I, I think that the biggest problem facing the iPad right now, and, and I don't expect you to be a devil's advocate. I, I just want to lay out the facts because there are downsides to using these things. If there weren't, then we wouldn't be buying Macs, right? Um, and the software is at early stages. I mean, when it first started, as I said earlier in the show, it, it felt like really just a minor iteration of the iPhone operating system. And since then, they've made steps. Uh, in WWDC of 2014, they announced, and with iOS 9, significant improvements to um, to the iPad as a productivity device. Like, they added split screen, which was 
way overdue. So you can have two apps on the screen at once. Um, but in WWDC last year, 20, I'm sorry, I misspoke. 2015 was iOS 9. Then 2016, this prior June, they didn't make any big announcements for iPad productivity. And a lot of people have questioned whether that will be kind of on a an off cycle, you know, maybe whether we'll get that in like a 10.3 update with the iPad, because we have seen them do um, some major software updates, you know, in like a point release of the OS. Yeah, that in fact, that's the scuttlebutt. I mean, certain people that know people, etc., have said that, you know, in Apple, the idea was, look, the iPhone pays the bills. The iPhone sells are what keeps the company going and the massive profits they make. Uh, so that gets all of the focus for the initial release of a new operating system. But then the idea was to come back in probably, you know, spring of next year with a, a point release for iOS that addresses a bunch of the iPad productivity stuff. And I, I understand that. And, and that's OK with me. In fact, that rumor was something that weighed on me heavily as I was deciding, well, do I really need to buy a MacBook or can I just tough it out for another three months? Because maybe a bunch of the stuff that I'm about to whine about is going to get fixed and then I'll be fine. But ultimately, because of what I'm doing, I just couldn't wait. And I don't think they're going to fix all the problems. So so what are the problems? Uh, I would I would do, um, Katie's right. So software is the biggest problem. And there's two categories. There's operating system problems and there's software limitations. So let's start with the operating system. You know, iOS 10 um, is uh, got sections in there that are specific to iPad. They've got way better keyboard support and keyboard shortcut support. And all this stuff is iOS 9 stuff. But there's still a bunch of things that aren't there. Um, uh, for instance, if you've ever used split screen, do you ever use split screen on yours? I know you've got the nine. Oh, all the time. Yeah. Okay. What is it? You know, so you've got this, the app that you select on the left screen, that's the app that you have intentionally launched. And then you get to bring in a second one on the right half of the screen. Have you ever tried to switch between the apps on the right screen? It's horrible. Yeah, it's it's the worst. So what they've done is they've got a, a scrolling list of icons of all the apps available on your iPad that could that that support split screen. And now that it's been out over a year and a half, almost every app on your iPad is going to support it, excluding games. So so when you want to switch between, let's say, Safari and Dragon Anywhere or OmniFocus and you know name your app, uh, if you use them recently. It's just a few scrolls and you'll find it. But if you haven't used them for a while, it's way up this list. So you scroll through the list and then you remember the color of the icon and then you see the color swing by and you have to stop and you're like, oh, no, that's not it. There's no search there. I mean, there's just no simple way to switch that second app. It's the way they did it made sense if you were running like 10 apps on your um, on your device. But if you're running it as a power user, you it's completely inadequate to the job. And in fact, I would almost argue that the entire problem that I'm about to describe with software is because the um, the impression I get from Apple that they think that people aren't being power users with iPads. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I mean, my sister is, you know, I, I'm going to use her as the common man here, um, you know, because she, like I said, she has very limited applications. This app switcher is fine for her because, you know, she's got, you know, maybe 10 apps that she uses to get work done and a folder full of, you know, slot machine games, you know, I mean, so it doesn't matter to her, but for people that are you know, listening to Mac power users want to bring in a second device, 
this thing just isn't up to the task. And and the other complaints I'm going to have later uh, are evidence of the same sickness that they think, you know, this is enough because if you're going to give us a device with this much power, we want to push that power and they need to do it. Another example is copy and paste. You've got two windows up, but you can't copy and paste data between them. Why can't you just drag it from one to the next? It seems so natural. Yeah, drag and drop should be easy. Well, and I heard in with iOS 9 coming out that they had it, that they had it figured out and that they wanted to put it in. They ran out of time. But that was a year and a half ago, you know, <laughs> so um, if you want us to take this seriously, so do you. Um, the operating system at a fundamental level is missing a lot of good productivity stuff. And, um, and that, and that, then that bleeds over necessarily into software implementation because the operating system has these limits. The software, uh, the people writing the software cannot expand the limits of what the operating system doesn't have. My most, my biggest complaint, the thing I wrote down so many times that I gave it sub bullet points in my list throughout this research is, is the question of multiples, you know, multiples, anything that involves multiples on the iPad comes with a lot more pain than you have on the Mac. So uh, the most basic one is send an email to somebody and let's say you want to send an email and attach six contracts or six documents or six PDFs. You know how you do that? One. By one by one. Exactly. You long press, then you get the document picker. And then if you're going to put it in iCloud or Dropbox or somewhere else on your device, it's always going to start at the root directory. It doesn't remember the last time that even though it was two seconds ago, it doesn't remember that you were in six folders deep into this one project. No, you got to drill all the way down there manually again. And you got to do it. If it's six files, you got to do it six times. And there's just no way. And this this really is an operating system problem that bleeds into the software problem but that is maddening i mean every day i felt like i was wasting time doing that and uh super frustrating it feels to me like it wouldn't be that difficult to fix and that's one that i almost expect to see fixed when we ever we get this you know promise well not promise this hypothetical ipad productivity update but multiples is not just a problem with email attachments it's also a problem with apps you know, if you've got multiple um, apps you want to work with, it's it's not always easy. Uh, a good example is working on the Mac Power Users Outline. We do it in Google Docs these days. So I've got um, um, a Google Doc open, but let's say then I want to view another Google Doc that has our schedule in it or some other thing in it. I cannot have two instances of the same app running next to itself, where that would be super easy on a Mac. Uh, Safari is another place where you run into all the time. I mean, it's the most natural thing to want to have two browser windows open. And there's ways around it. You can get two different browsers. You know, you can run Chrome. Well, no, Safari, Safari, you can do it now. Safari, you can open in a new tab. Yeah, that's true. You're right. You got me there. Uh, but but that that is that is an exception. And And they just added it because that always hasn't been the case. So you've got this problem where multiples is once again a problem. Batch selection anywhere is a problem. You know, anywhere you want to select multiple files. Uh, you know, OmniFocus, if you want to select 20 items and move them, you can't. And this is a, you know, they, it's not entirely, part of this is on Omni, but I think it really comes down to the way they, the operating system is designed. It really doesn't make it easy. And this is true with a lot of apps out there. Um, you know, multiple. Another thing I said about multiples is multiple copies of files. And we've talked in the show in the past about the whole concept of edit in place. You know, can I have a, a file in Dropbox and then open it in two different PDF apps? 
Well, the answer is I can't because of the way it's implemented on the iPad. That That's partly on Dropbox. It's partly on Apple. It's less so on the PDF developers. But for every category of app, you've got to find these workarounds where you can find a way to edit in place. Or if you can't edit in place, you've got to deal with the fact that now you have two copies of that file, one in the app and one wherever your storage was. And you have to keep track of what's the most current one. And that is such a difficult I mean, how do you explain that to people? Yeah, it feels like winding back the clock. You know, I remember when we used to have floppies, that was a problem. You know, sneaker knit, that was an issue where you had a floppy you'd be passing around the office and some of the two people would suddenly edit at the same time without knowing. And then you had this big problem. We got this again in 2016. I thought those problems were behind us. Um, so so multiples. I mean, if, if there's one thing that that will chase you out of uh, iPad as a Mac replacement, it's the whole idea of multiples. And, and I talked about delight earlier and there is delight in it. And there is a lot of things I do on it that is just more fun. Uh, working through OmniFocus may not be quite as fast as it is on my Mac, but if you've got your your library in good shape, it's very um, delightful to sit there in the morning and go through it. I do it every day, make my tea, sit in the couch, figure out my day, and then I get on with work. It's a it's a great way to get your work done and it's, it's delightful. But... Um, but all that stuff chases you off when you hit multiples and suddenly you feel like you're wasting your time. So that that's a big issue. And what's so interesting is that why haven't um, why haven't some of these issues been resolved? Because we know that Tim Cook is a huge iPad user. We know that there are people at Apple who use these devices all the time. And supposedly Tim is using this to get a lot of work done. Are they not running up against these same frustrations and banging their head against these same issues every day as well? And and that's what seems so bizarre is, you know, here we are years later from the launch of the iPad and we're still dealing with the same old thing. Yeah. And part of it is me. I mean, there, there aren't that many people out there that run two podcasts, a successful website, a book publishing business, a law practice, and all the family commitments, you know, as a result, I have tons of things thrown at me every day. Sometimes I think Tim Cook has less than I do. Well, when, when you think about it, he's probably doing a lot more web browsing and email answering. And I mean, he's probably making a lot more. He's, he's an executive. He's probably making a lot more high level decisions. He's probably not doing a lot of the groundwork. He has people for that. He has people for that. And I don't. And so so I am an edge case on this stuff. But like like email management's a good idea right here. So like the. um. As Katie well knows, I, uh, I got behind on email for a couple months and I've been digging out and some of our listeners. You know, David, there's this book you might want to read. Yeah, well, I, you can read all the books or have all the strategies you want. But if you suddenly have 10 gallons of water to put in a five gallon bucket, you're going to have problems. So I had to uh, make some decisions. An email went, went low on the list for me for a couple months. As uh, I just got a, a reply from a listener saying, this is like a six-month-old email, and you just replied to me. And I said, well, you know, at least I got to you. You're welcome. But the, um, but you know, the, the point is, when it's a backlog, it doesn't make sense on the iPad. But when it's under control, it's, it's again, delightful to sit there and work through it. Uh, dictation stuff works really good on the iPad. I'm able to manage a reasonable amount of email very carefully. Uh, when suddenly I have an influx of email, then I need the superpowers of a Mac. And and that's where, you know, you run into it. I think Jason Snell told me once, he says an iPad works for you until it doesn't work, you know, whereas a Mac always has the solution available. And and that's where you have to figure out where is that sticky point for you? 
Another issue of concern for me is um, power apps. You know, the iPad itself is quite powerful, but you don't have the same caliber and quantity of power apps available on the iPad as you do on the Mac. So what's the reason for that? I mean, I don't think it's hardware as much. It used to be hardware, um, but now the the chips they're putting into the iPad Pros are are keeping up with some of the lower end Macs. Um, I think it gets back to software. You know, it comes back. The operating system doesn't support, you know, the re- why don't we have Final Cut? on the iPad Pro, or why don't we have Logic, two of Apple's more, you know, professional applications? Because I don't think the operating system has enough, you know, horsepower to really drive what the developers want to do with it. Um, and do you think money plays a role in that too? Well, I, I think it's a couple of things. I think when you look at the Apple apps, despite being such a large company, Apple seems to still be very tight on resources. Um, they, they seem to not have all the resources to do what they want to do with these things. And they seem to be pulling people from one team to work on something and then pulling them back to another team. And, and projects seem to languish for whatever reason for for long periods of time. I mean, I would argue that the iWork apps on iOS are still not what they're all cracked up to be. And so I think that's part of the issue from Apple's standpoint. I think there is another side to this issue that is on the developer standpoint. And I think you've seen a lot of developers have not necessarily put all of the time and attention on iPad apps as they have on um, iPhone apps for a couple of reasons. One is, is I think, um, certainly the, the sales priority for iPads versus iPhones. Clearly, I, iPhones are the dominant there. And I think developers, when they have limited resources, are going to put their time and their money into what they think is going to give them the most bang for their buck. And I think, and we can certainly talk to developers and, and have them confirm this, but it, it's going to be harder to, if you're, if you only have so many resources, it's going to be a lot easier to de- design for an iPhone because you have a, a certain, a limited number of, of variables that you have to design for on the iPhone. And then you're adding a whole nother set of variables, particularly if you're dealing with a 7.9 inch screen, a 9.7 inch screen, and a 12.9 inch screen. And then if you add, is it retina? Is it not retina? Does it have pencil support? Does it not have pencil support? I mean, there are all these other factors that you then have to compensate for that I think a a lot of apps are still iPhone only. I think it's even more fundamental than that. Um, You know, John Gruber made this um, Vesper application. John is super connected in the Mac community, if you don't know him, and knows a lot of developers great guy, smart guy. And they spent a lot of time getting fiddly and making this amazing little text app. And they released it for iPhone. The business never really failed. And it was like the dream team, you know, best developer, best designer, John's influence. I think you said that backwards. I mean, the business ultimately failed. You said it never really failed, but it did. I'm sorry. It never really took off. It ultimately failed. And when John kind of wrote up the the postmortem, he said the biggest mistake they made was not starting on the Mac because people pay more for Mac apps. And, you know, financially, you can't make as much money on an app. If you make an app that's a super powerful film, uh, movie editing app or, you know, a video editing app on the Mac, you can get, I mean, Apple gets $300 for theirs, which is probably less than every other person in the market. Whereas a $300 app on the iPad, it's just not going to fly anymore because people have this strange expectation that that software magically is easier to make and takes less work and they just aren't willing to pay it. So I think there's a monetary um, 
influence on, you know, am I going to make a super powerful professional app that's going to require me to spend, you know, hire five developers and spend, you know, a million dollars to make this app? Am I going to make that for the iPad? Well, if I don't think I'm ever going to get the money back, I won't. And I think that has a, a role in it as well. But but fundamentally, I, the software problem, I mean, the, the, the motto here is software is holding back the iPad. And and in addition to the monetary model, I think the software model um, needs improvement. Um, and then, you know, so so in general, I, just to summarize the whole point on software, we need this thing to evolve for power users. If people want to use this through plus a Mac, if Apple's going to stand on a stage and say, you know, this is cheaper than a laptop and it's just as good and it's going to solve all your problems. Um, they need to put their money where their mouth is and they need to release updates to the iOS operating system that make the iPad truly a laptop replacement. Um, and, you know, as I was saying those words, I was even questioning the way I was saying them because what I guess what I mean to say is they need to move the spectrum. They mean, need to move it towards the iPad. We talked earlier about that spectrum of where you sit on this line where you can use an iPad or not, they need to push the, enough power features into the iPad that more people can move along that spectrum and actually use an iPad. And I feel like if there's one thing they can do, it's software. Okay, so with all that being said, uh, let's take a few minutes to talk about hardware. Um, in general, I'm very happy with the way the hardware has progressed on the iPad Pro. I mean, I don't have really many complaints at all. Um, I, I like the size. I like the thinness. It doesn't need to get any thinner. I mean, clearly they're solving for, for battery, you know, as, as they say. I mean, the thing keeps getting thinner, but keeps keeping the same amount of battery. They could have kept the, the old thickness and doubled the battery, but that wasn't their choice. And, and I uh, largely agree with that choice. And everybody, to each his own, some people would want a longer battery, but I'd rather have it a little lighter and thinner and still get 10 hours. I, that is just not a limitation for me. Um, the, uh, in general, I think the screen technologies have got better. I think the pencil's better. I wish that the pencil had a button on it so I could have like an alternate click with the pencil, but it doesn't. Um, and then with peripherals, there are limitations. I, I do want to point out one other hardware limitation that, that you haven't mentioned. And I think one of the hardware limitations is that it, it's still fragmented across the line. And I think this is an issue that, you know, impedes developers as well. Especially even the iPad Pro has subtle differences across the various iPad Pro lines. One supports fast charging. One doesn't. One has true tone. One doesn't. Um, some, it's just some of that weirdness. Yeah, I agree. I think you're right. And another point I would add to a hardware limitation is a single port that's lightning. I mean, I feel like the iPad Pro could use a USB-C port. They're small enough. Um, but that kind of gets to my next point is peripheral limitations. You know, uh, with a, a Mac, you will be able to get it work with any printer. You'll be able to get it to work with pretty much any scanner or any device out there. I mean, almost everything can get to work with a Mac at some point. With an iPad, it either really works or it just doesn't work. You know, um, one of my pain points at this thing that caused me to buy this MacBook Pro is this big project I was working on. They had a printer there, but it would not work with an iPad, and there was no way to make it work with an iPad. And um, uh, so that kind of stuff gets frustrating, and um, so that's something you have to be aware of. Even just like getting appropriate external storage. They have adapters that can turn your lightning port into USB, but then the stuff you plug into it doesn't necessarily work. I think that they need to get better at um, using um, 
you know, supporting external peripherals if they want to get on stage again. And once again, say this can replace your laptop. I guess the question is, does Apple really want um, to be able to do that? I think there, there are certain fractions in Apple who do and and those who don't. I, I think I think Apple's not quite sure. It's an interesting battle. Well, they are saying that. I mean, let's be, you know, when the iPad Pro came out last year, the 9.7 iPad Pro, a significant marketing message was it's cheaper than IBM laptop and it'll not IBM, but it's a cheaper than a, a PC laptop and and uh, it'll do the job. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by Eero. You can learn more about Eero, pick one up for yourself and get expedited shipping by heading over to Eero.com and using the coupon code MPU at checkout. So Eero is one of my favorite things for 2016. These days, everything in our homes requires an internet connection. Our speakers, our thermostat, our light bulbs, our door locks, security cameras, and everything in between. And we are increasingly looking at streaming services like Hulu and Netflix and Spotify for all of our home entertainment needs. And the bottom line is everything runs on Wi-Fi. It is the foundation for it, and we are completely dependent on it. But here's the problem. Wi-Fi is fundamentally broken. Connections can be inconsistent, slow, unresponsive. To get the best possible connection, you're going to have to think differently about your Wi-Fi. You need a distributed system that can provide you with a connection all over your home. And previously, this has been a really expensive thing to do, but not anymore. With Eero, you can install an enterprise-grade Wi-Fi system in your home in minutes. Now, I'm not talking about one of those wacky extenders that sometimes works and sometimes doesn't. Eero's different. Eero has two radios inside, keeping your internet fast and everything in sync in one network name. You simply download the Eero app on iOS or Android, and it will walk you through the entire setup process. It's quick, easy, and painless. The Eero app lets you manage your network from the palm of your hand so you'll know how many devices are connected at any given point, as well as the internet speed that you're getting from your service provider. So if they're not delivering, you can let them know. I've installed Eero in my home, and it solved Wi-Fi problems that I didn't even know that I had. My connection has been rock solid since adding Eero. I was so impressed, I have now added an Eero system to my parents' house, which has a much more complicated setup, and I've recommended it to all of my friends and family. The setup process was simple. The devices themselves are super clean and elegant. And my connection has really improved. And I love being able to manage everything from the simple iOS app. The average home in the U.S. is usually covered by two or three euros. So for most people, the three pack is a good starting point. If you live in a larger space or want to cover outside your house, you may need more. But you can add up to 10 in total. So you'll probably be covered. And because they have a 30-day money-back guarantee, you can always return one of your Euros if you end up not needing it. So if you want to find out more about the Euro and get one for yourself, head over to Eero.com, that's E-E-R-O, and just because you listen to the show, you'll get free expedited shipping. Just enter code MPU at checkout. Thanks to Eero for their support of Mac Power users. Let's talk a little bit about becoming an iPad power user. I think you would probably fall into that camp. We certainly know other people who fall into that camp. Federico is probably the ultimate iPad power user of those in in our group here. Um, Jason Snell, I know, has moved a lot of his workflow over to the iPad. Um, I think if we had uh, known about the iPad, remember the iPad did not exist when we named the show. Um, 
we, we might have rethought our naming of the show Mac Power Users because we thought we, we talked so much about iOS now. Yeah, well, it didn't exist when we started the show. We would not have called it iPad Power Users, though. I'm just saying. Well, on that note, though, I mean, both of us are, are pushing limits here. And the Mac Power Users will always be here to give you advice on Apple devices. And, you know, the Mac isn't going away. We're going to continue to talk about the Mac. And, and the iPad isn't going away either. And we will continue to talk about that. And the iPhone. So don't worry about that. Um, but, but really I felt like, what is an iPad power user? You know, as I'm going through all these, what do I like, what do I hate and what's working and what's not. And I think one of the things we need to do is redefine the term power user because a, a power user on an iPad is not the same thing as a power user on a Mac. It's a different skill set, And that's something you need to wrap your head around. If you start playing in this realm, um, you know, there are kind of traditional power usery things you can do on an iPad, but they're definitely more limited. And then there's a whole new category of new kind of power user tricks you can pick up along the way. And I think that's what we need to start thinking about as we start developing content for the future of the show and people that are out there using them. So in the traditional power user field, there are there are automation techniques and things you can do. Um, Apple, one of the good things Apple has done is they provide for what we call these URL callbacks where an app can send data or information back to a different app. And that allows some communication between apps, even with the existence of the sandbox. And um, I don't know if it started out as a hack. I always want to know the story behind URL callbacks. I mean, is this something that they intended at Apple? Because it doesn't feel like implemented way in a way that Apple would do intentionally. Or is it something that one of the engineers said, hey, let's just try this. And it worked. I think there was a, yeah, I think there's an engineer at Apple who said, this might be fun. Let me just see if I can put this in here. Yeah, I almost feel like it like snuck through. And then once it snuck through, everybody started using it. And then they realized that all of us users would go crazy if they took it out. So now they're stuck with it. I feel like Apple could improve that. I think you know, the URL callback scheme is a great idea, but I think it should go a step further. And that's something I would recommend for the future. But we're talking about a power user right now. So what does a power user do right now? Uh, you get familiar with a couple apps that are really good at this stuff. And the first and foremost of those is Workflow. Uh, very confusing because we talk, we have workflow shows on our show all the time. And I invited, in fact, I just invited somebody to be a workflow guest. And they're like, well, I don't really know that much about workflow, but I'd love to be on your show. I'm like, ah, oh, you've got my question wrong. Uh, we did a whole show on workflow. I did a whole screencast on workflow, um, uh, Max, Max Barkey video field guide. Just recently, the, the the gang on Canvas did, I think, three episodes on workflow. Yeah, they're do, they're doing a whole series. That's worth. I mean, we've done a show on it, but they're doing a whole series on getting started with workflow. Yeah. So the my point is, if you want to start using traditional power user tricks off an iPad, you need to buy workflow and you need to get familiar with it. This app is remarkable. Um, uh, I I think they have like naked pictures of somebody at Apple. I don't know how it got approved because it, it allows you to do so many things that I thought were so verboten on on iOS. But it allows apps to talk between each other in ways that I've never seen before. Some of its URL callback tricks. And basically, they have every trick in the book that they can squeeze out of the system to make things happen. Um, I've got one that just shows me. In fact, I did this in the screencast video that I did. It shows my next appointment. It shows me the Google Street View of my next appointment. That's super useful to me because when I'm on the road or, you know, and I'm going somewhere, I'll have an address, but I don't know what the building looks like. And as I'm driving, it's a lot easier to know what I'm looking for. So it's just that I push a button and it happens for me. Another workflow that I have is um, when I, I'm in an email 
in an application that supports it, not Apple Mail. We talked about this on the Mail Show. I can trigger a workflow that automatically at today's date in a description and codes it as an expense and saves it to Dropbox and does all that stuff so my Mac back at home using Hazel can auto-file receipts for me. It's really powerful. It's like two taps. It has actually an easier workflow on the iPad than it is on the Mac. You know, those happen once you start getting familiar with this stuff. But I think as a as a power user, it starts with a workflow. Have you ever really dug in on workflow, Katie? Is that something that's on your radar at this point? I've used it from time to time, and I especially dug into it when we were doing our workflow show. But I will admit that it's never something that has stuck. I mean, I'll, I'll use it when I have a reason to, but it's never my, I don't know, it has never been sticky for me. Well, and I think, I think that you are using an iPad more traditionally. I mean, you're not looking for a way to auto file emails, for instance. And, um, and, but, but whenever you find yourself at a sticky point or doing something repeatedly on an iPad, if there's any app that gives you some hope of automating that process, it's probably workflow. Um, there's a couple more though. Launcher is really good. Uh, that does some interesting stuff and, and all these work together, you know, um, drafts is also super powerful in a way that doesn't necessarily work on an, on a Mac, but works really great on iOS. And I don't think we've ever given drafts an entire show, but it, it is a super powerful app for quickly entering text and doing things with it. And, and all the stuff once again integrates. So you need to, you need to learn a new set of skills, you know, before on the Mac power user, you're getting really good at Hazel on the iPad. You're going to be getting really good at workflow launcher drafts and, and text expansion, like text expander has an app too. So, and we should kind of, sorry, we should mention for everyone who keeps asking us to do that draft show, we probably should at some point, but in the meantime, the response that I give to everyone who sends us those emails is, is you've done a great screencast series. Um, on drafts, that's probably an hour plus of content that, uh, yeah, it's, it's like, I don't remember the total number we'd end up with, I think 14 or 15 different short screencasts showing you everything from the basics to very advanced principles with it. So we'll put that in the show notes. It's like getting a video field guide for free. So just go watch them. Um, so, but th- those are the kinds of things that you need to be picking up and we're not going to go through now now that we're past the hour mark and start telling you how to do all this stuff, maybe that'll be some content we, we put out in 2017 where we, we go deep on some of these apps. But my point is don't just say you can't do that stuff because traditional power user techniques are available on iOS. They're going to get easier over time. Um, I guess the positive spin on the recent, you know, departure of Sal from Apple is to say, well, maybe they've got something fancy and new along the lines of workflow that Apple's going to implement and make it better. I hope so. But I mean, I don't, I'm not holding my breath, but maybe they're even going to make this kind of stuff better for us. Um, but so that's traditional power usery stuff. But then there's also a whole new so- form of power user stuff you're going to be doing with these iOS devices where you figure out apps that, that work better and differently. I mean, dra- to go back to drafts, I mean, drafts is an app that I would have never imagined on a Mac. And once I started using it on the iPhone and iPad, I cannot imagine not using it now. Um, so, so you've got to go, you've got to be willing to learn some new stuff. If you've been using a Mac for 20 years and you've got your kind of your um, methods already kind of figured out, listening to our show and whatever else you figured out along the way, you've got to be willing to give up some of that and lose a little bit of time to get better at this stuff. Okay. Um, 
let's get a little bit. I don't want to go too deep into this. I've got a bunch of outline here. You can tell I've been working on this a long time. You, you Katie, the outline been. is super yeah. long. Yeah. I do want to say before we move on to your recommendations, we have always said on this show that the term power user is aspirational. So even, even if you do not consider yourself an iPad powered user, that's what we're here for. We're here to help with that. And um, don't give up on it. Yeah. And this stuff is developing. One of the things I love about it is it's super exciting learning new stuff. I mean, it pushes all of my nerd buttons. So coming up with workflows to solve specific problems, I love that stuff. To me, that's like um, some people love to play video games. I love to come up with workflows. You know, I mean, it's a it pushes a happy chemical for me. And um, that's why I love writing about this stuff and talking about it, because there's always new things happening. And frankly, it's a lot more dynamic on the iPad than it is on the Mac. Maybe that's another point in favor of the iPad is it's something that's in motion. And it's very exciting if you love this stuff to see how it develops and work with it throughout the the process. Um, anyway, so what am I doing? Uh, you know, some specific recommendations. Um, you know, the um, like email. We, we did a whole show on iOS email, so I'm not going to trot over that ground a lot, but I'd say that, you know, a lot of the limitations I talked about are very present in Apple Mail. You know, the inability to select multiple items, the inability to trigger, you know, the the save to PDF and some of this. I know that they've added that, but they haven't made it easy, whereas third party apps have done a better job of it. But then the third party apps have their own their own, you know, foibles. Um the, uh, the what I'm doing it these days, I've I've kind of switched. I was in Airmail for a while, but now I'm using Apple Mail plus Dispatch. So, if something needs extra automation treatment, I deal with it out of Dispatch. Otherwise, I deal with it Apple Mail. Um, PDFs PDFs are something I spend a lot of time with, and I'm super frustrated with it because of the edit in place problem. You know, uh, you know when you try and do edit in place with the um, with iOS, it just depends on where you're storing the documents and what particular app you're working. I almost feel like I need to make a graph to show you, you know, where to solve this problem. Uh, one of the better solutions is to sync an entire folder of things. But what if you've got a big folder and you don't want to sync the entire folder? Uh, it's it's just not that great. I, I wish Dropbox, I, I wish one of two things, or maybe two things would happen. I wish Dropbox would get more edit in place friendly which I don't see happening anytime soon. And I wish Apple would fix the software for iCloud. Yeah. Um, we talked recently about the fact that I did this big experiment with iCloud and ultimately I found the service pretty reliable, but the biggest problem with iCloud was the software that, you know, the way they manage dialogues, the way they save files is done for somebody that has 10 folders instead of a hundred or a thousand. And this kind of gets back to the theme today. Do the people at Apple think that all of us are using these things with a minimal amount of, of volume? And I guess they do. And, and I think it depends, again, which app and which service you're, you're using, because some apps are specifically optimized to work with certain services, like Microsoft Office, for example, um, has had a long time collaboration or maybe not too long, but they, they have a specific collaboration with Dropbox. And of course, Microsoft Office is also going to work with its own OneDrive. Yeah, but but Microsoft Office is a good, you know, it, and that that has its pluses and minuses uh, because of their collaboration with Dropbox edit in place is, is just awesome. 
if you if you're storing your stuff on Dropbox, you can open it. You can open it from the Dropbox app and edit it directly in Microsoft, or you can open it directly from Word or or um, Exchange or whatever and edit it in place. It's it's just fine. But then um, the application itself has limitations and. Microsoft is probably the wrong example, but because so many people use it, it's worth discussion. I mean, Microsoft for years has been unwilling to remove features from Office, which is why it looks like a jet engine, you know, it looks like a jet plane cockpit when you open it up with all these different options. But on the iPad, they made the right decision. They said, we're not going to bring everything over. We're going to make the interface more friendly, something that makes more sense when you're just working on a piece of glass where I have a dispute with them is the decisions they made. And maybe this is just me, but it seems to me like the stuff they left out, a lot of the stuff they left out is stuff that we use every day. Um, do you use Katie when you make documents in office or, or word? Do you, do you make um, styles to use the styles? Sometimes, but I don't, I don't use a bunch of styles. Oh, see, I am a huge styles user. I mean, it solves so many problems. If you're listening and use Microsoft word, they have built-in styles like title, heading one, heading two, body. If you And you can customize those. And if you use that, then if you later you want to go back and change the font for all the headings, if you use styles, it automatically changes it for every heading that you've marked. If you want to create a table of contents, you press one button and it does it. It's just, it's a minimal amount of extra work and a huge payoff at the end. So I've done that for years. I do all my contracts that way. But the problem, and they support styles on uh, Word for the iPad, but what they don't support is style format changes. Okay, so like one of the things I like to do with uh, when I write a contract is at the end of each body paragraph, I have a six-point space under each paragraph. And that way, if you've got a bunch of text together, there's six points between each paragraph. It makes it a lot easier on the eyes. I can't make that edit on the iPad. So if I'm in a meeting or whatever, and we're working off a contract and I want to just fix the formatting, I got to get back to a Mac. It just seems silly to me that things like that got cut. And, and see, this may be just a, you know, a nerd that has his pet issue. I can't d- make up my mind because, you know, Microsoft knows how many people use styles. Maybe they realize that it's not enough people to make it worth implementing. But that's a problem that you're never going to have using Word on the Mac, right? You're never going to have that problem. That feature is always going to be there for you. And it's not going to be there for you on the iPad until they decide to add it. So uh, they got so much right, but I feel like they have limitations that you do bump your head into. Um, uh, on the subject of Microsoft Office, Excel has tons of limitations. Uh, you know, if, if you do anything advanced with Excel, when you use it on iPad, you're going to run into trouble. I mean, I was just going to say, I think one of the big problems is that all of these apps have all of these different rules and all of these different limitations. Some will work like you want. Some don't. Some have different rules. Some have different collaborations. And it's really hard for a, a normal user to keep them all straight. It's hard for anybody to keep them straight. Yeah. And it's a moving target because these are early days. I'm sure people at Microsoft uh, are aware of this and they want to add style formatting to the iPad and probably have it on a list. Maybe somebody's working on it and we'll get that update tomorrow. I don't know, but this stuff is always evolving. Whereas on the, the Mac, things are really stable because they've been doing the software for 20, 30 years sometimes. And, you know, you're not going to have a lot of change on the iPad. All this stuff is just, it's just moving so quickly. That's, that's the blessing and the curse of it all. So no matter what it is you're doing, you're going to have to spend a little bit of time to make sure you can get it to work for you. 
iWork Suite is the same way. It has weird cloud integrations, great support with iCloud. It's lousy support with Dropbox. So it's like you have different cloud storage depending on the app suite you're going to use. I mean, it's it's kind of nutty, but uh, that's one of the problems you face when you get over here. Underline the whole thing, though, to me, it's it software. So, um, you know, there's a whole bunch of decisions to make if you want to try and use an iPad to replace a Mac. But fundamentally, you get you need to have a really good understanding of what you do and what software you need to work for you. Well, let's um, talk a little bit about 9.7 versus 12.9, because we have the unique situation of having used or having access, you regularly use both. Um, as we've talked about, I purchased a 12.9 inch iPad Pro and I absolutely hated it, could not stand it. Um, I was a longtime iPad mini user, loved my iPad mini. In fact, we talked quite a bit on the last MPU Plus about the iPad mini versus the 9.7 inch iPad Pro and and why I, why I ultimately moved to the 9.7 inch iPad Pro. Um, and I've talked quite a bit about why I, I did not like and could never get used to the 12.9. Um, but you use both. And I is it fair for me to say all things consider you prefer the 12.9? Yeah. I mean, for productivity type work, I do. Um, it's bigger. I mean, that's if you're using split screen on a regular basis, that extra screen real estate at 12.9 is in essence two iPad minis next to each other. I think you said that backwards. A 9.7 is essentially two iPad minis back to next to each other. The 12.9 is two iPads, two regular size iPads next to each other. Yeah. So you get, you get, you've got so much more screen real estate. So if you're working in split screen, if you are trying to, you know, write long contracts or whatever it is that you do for a living and you need that space. I mean, when I've always got the, um, um, review mark changes stuff open. So I've got comments on the right side of the screen and all of a sudden the screen starts getting small really quickly with that smaller iPad when you're doing any type of serious work, when you're proofreading with the pencil and you've got a, a large contract in very small typeface, having the, the extra screen real estate makes it so much easier to work with. And um, I think, you know, you know, the, the theme of the show is can you use an iPad as a Mac replacement? And the answer is you, Yes, you can, depending on where you fall on that spectrum. If you can fall on that spectrum where you're doing the types of work that you think you can replace an, a Mac with an iPad with, I think having a bigger iPad is in your benefit. Um, but again, it depends on what you're doing with it. Now, I think you will agree that you are probably in the minority that most people are not going to have two iPads. No, I mean, I'm a weirdo. Yes, thank I mean, you. I, okay. I totally admit that. Um, but the uh, the reason that I did not like the 12.9 inch iPad is because uh, although I, I certainly understand that it had some advantages for having a bigger space and bigger service area and those types of things, I found for the types of things that I love to use the iPad for, like, um, you know, reading web pages or on the couch or browsing through my RSS feeds while I was sitting in bed first thing in the morning or, you know, just casually. All of the casual things that I did with my iPad, which is still quite a lot, um, I hated the 12.9 inch. It was just too big. It was too big. It was too heavy. It was too much to handle. Um, whereas the 9.7 is certainly more manageable. I think if you were like laying in bed and fell asleep with a 12.9 in your hand, you'd break your nose. <laughs> it's just so heavy. E easily, yeah. But, you know, on the theme of I want to do big girl, big boy work on um, on an iPad. You know, if you're truly going to be using multiple apps on the screen at once and you're going to be pushing these limits, I think the bigger piece of glass is, is going to you're going to not going to regret it. 
So having two, and that's a, it's such a weird situation to have two iPads that I, I don't really want to spend a lot of time talking about, you know, best strategies for having two, because I think there's very few people dumb enough to have two. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Automatic, the small adapter that turns your clunker into a smarter connected car. Check out the new Automatic Pro over at automatic.com slash MacPower and get $20 off with the offer code MacPower. Automatic is the connected car adapter that can work with just about any car made after 1996. It plugs into the car's adapter port and gives it all sorts of smart technology when it works in conjunction with your iPhone or Android device. Using Automatic, you can easily track your car, you can file business expenses for trips, you can get help in a crash, and you can even customize your ride with additional applications. And just in time for the holidays, Automatic has released the Automatic Pro. That's their new unlimited 3G car adapter with no monthly fees or subscription. Because it's 3G, you can know where your car is parked at any time, and you can also automatically track your vehicle in the case of theft. The new Automatic also works with IFTTT, that's if this then that, for endless customization, connecting your car to the rest of your life. You can link your car to connected devices like the Nest thermostat or the Amazon Echo. Imagine if you were to say, Alexa, where'd I park my car? With the new Automatic Pro, you can do that. And of course, the new Automatic still has that great support where you get human help in the case of a crash. Automatic Pro detects severe accidents and trained responders call for help when you can't. We are all reading the articles about the fancy new cars coming out in the next few years that have all of these great connected technologies. The good news is with Automatic, you don't need to wait. You can buy your own Automatic, put it into your car, and it works with just about any car made since 1996 and make it a smart car right away. The Automatic Pro is an excellent gift for the nerd in your life. And as a dad, I can also tell you it's great having these in my wife and my daughter's cars. So I know if they get into trouble, there'll be somebody on the phone with them right away. And I'll even get a notification because the automatic does that too. The automatic pro normally costs $129.95. But when you use our exclusive offer code, Mac power, and that's just one word, uh, you'll save $20. So go to automatic.com slash Mac power for more information and use offer code Mac power to save $20 off the regular price. Hey, gang, I need to break into the show for just a minute here. Unfortunately, we had some audio issues with Skype and the show had to take a break right here. When we came back, we did not realize that my Mac and microphone were also having some issues. So for about the next nine minutes, you're going to hear a slight static on my track. It's not too bad, but you may find it annoying. And for that, I apologize. I suspect it has something to do with these ongoing issues I'm having with my MacBook Pro. Thankfully, Apple has authorized a replacement, and hopefully it will be on the way soon. Unfortunately, we couldn't hear these issues. We were only aware of them in post-production. So, wanted to let you know that we were aware. Apologize for the inconvenience. And now back to the show. All right, so what are your recommendations here, then? Well, I think if you're serious about trying to replace a Mac with an iPad, that you should look seriously at the big one. Because you're going to need that screen real estate. You're giving up a Mac for this stuff. And it makes a difference it, where generally I would say if someone walks up to me and says, which iPad should I buy? I would say start with a 9.7. But if you tell me I'm looking at it to replace a Mac, I would say look seriously at the 
I mean, hold it in your hands. I think one of the problems you had is you just held the thing in your hands and it felt ridiculous. And I think that is a completely legitimate response to have to that large iPad. But I would tell you that I played with that 12.9 inch iPad a little bit in the Apple store. And by a little bit, I mean 30, 45 minutes one day and thought, okay, that did not stop me from buying it. Um, but after playing with it at home, I mean, there's a, you know, when you play with an iPad on the store, they're pretty much, you know, tethered to a table and all. It was really when I got at home and picked it up and used it on the couch and those types of things and got it in my element that I really realized it was too big. So I would also say, be uh, aware of your return policy. Yeah. Apple can afford a return once in a while. It's okay. <laughs> but, the, uh, but I do think that if you're trying to replace, like I said, a Mac, you're trying to do, you know, your your work with it. Having that bigger screen, I think, is a big help. I just, you know, there's not many people that have both. I have both because I'm crazy. But the, um, but I can tell you that I do a lot more work on the big one than the small one. Yeah. Um. So where where can we go with this stuff? Can an iPad replace a laptop? Um. It depends. Yeah. It really just depends on what you do. There. There is a um a moving, um, you know, area of of ability here and and it's a combination of the software and what you do. And it's a lot easier to do it now than when I wrote the iPad at workbook so many years ago, but it's still really difficult to, you know, for certain types of work that I do and, um, depending on what you do out there, maybe you too. So I think you need to spend some time taking inventory of what kind of work you're doing on your Mac and whether or not there's a replaceable, you know, product for that on the iPad. Like, like for so much of what I do now, the iPad is fine. I do a lot of writing, you know, Ulysses and Scrivener are both on the iPad. Now I get all that stuff done on the iPad. I do a lot of, um, you know, I do a lot of research and writing and reading and all that stuff is completely competent on the iPad. I manage my own schedule and my tasks. All that stuff can be done on the iPad where, where I ran into trouble was with some more of the high end stuff I was doing in the day job where it, it wasn't working and it was a combination of software and capacity and specifically um, some of the Microsoft um, office stuff, not being able to manage the types of files that were getting thrown at me and the multiples, you know, that thing I talked about earlier about multiples that was just making me a little crazy so much so that I ended up getting a, a laptop. Um, how am I using it is interesting. Um, when I go out to meet clients and my day-to-day -day stuff where I'm out of the office and on the road, the iPad is my companion and friend. I only bring the laptop when it is something where I know I'm going to, where I'm specifically going to need the laptop. And that is probably one of a, out of every four or five trips. So I, I am getting a lot of work done on the iPad that used to get done on the Mac, but I'm not getting all the work done. And now you, I think you're, you're a little further behind me on the spectrum. I, I don't think you are, um, using it quite as much for productivity stuff. No. And I will tell you that I still use the iPad primarily for consumption, but I have gotten to the point where I use it a lot more. And, and I talked about this on the last MPU plus now that I have the 9.7 inch pro and particularly now that I have the smart keyboard and I really am surprised that I like that smart keyboard cover. I, um, I leave that smart keyboard cover on my iPad. That is my case for the iPad. And I am using that iPad a lot more now um, for other things. And I will particularly, um, when I know that I have a meeting in the office or out of the office, 
I will throw that iPad in my purse and make sure that I take it. I was in uh, Chambers today for uh, an event and I I threw the iPad in my purse this morning and that was what I took with me and that was what I used. When I have an estate planning meeting with a client, I take an iPad and I take notes in ByWord as opposed to on a piece of paper and that's that's what I use and I save the notes out as text and save it into a Dropbox and those are my notes. My notes are all typed up digital. I mean, the whole handwriting workflow on the iPad, I was really looking forward to that. That ended up just not working for me. But what did work for me is taking notes with that smart keyboard just in plain text on the iPad because I can type so much faster and so much neater than I write and having that iPad is not, for whatever reason, I think maybe because it's smaller, it's a little more intimate, it is not the physical barrier between my client and I that um, having a laptop is. I would say that the 9.7, even more so. I mean, that's a that's a point in favor of the 9.7 is when you're in a meeting holding it, it does not get between you and the person you're talking to. Um, I'm using it a lot more for emails. I'm using it a lot. I, I will tell you there are regularly days, there are several days a week now that I come home and I never touch my computer because I've, I, and don't get me wrong, I use a Mac all day at the office. All day, I'm on my Mac all day, every day. But there are many nights, not the nights we record this podcast, but many nights when I come home and I never touch my Mac. Um, and I'm just on the couch with the iPad. It's come a long way. I mean, in summary, the hardware needs to continue to evolve, but the, the software needs to catch up. I think that the, the holdup more, more than anything at this point is software. And that's what you need to figure out with if you can live with the software uh, as is or not. Um, I'm very curious to see what Apple does in the coming months. If we do get that point update to iOS 10 that makes the iPad more friendly, I would expect that they would have a better app picker for that right screen and and bring some other nice features like multiple selection just needs to get in there. Um, but it, it's coming along. So, uh, you know, I guess ending on a positive note, it, the iPad is an, a remarkable device. I think Apple's going to be putting a lot of, um, you know, uh, effort into making it even better as we go into the future. Um, and I think it's the future gang. So even if you're against it, at some point, you're going to have to spend some time with one of these and figure out if it's going to work for you or not. It's coming. <laughs> All right. Well, th- thanks to our sponsors, Automatic Smile, Agenda Minder, and Eero. Thank you. We appreciate uh, We can keep the lights on because of them. So please support those sponsors. Uh, if you have any feedback on this, please let us know. We want to hear from our iPad Power user listeners. Uh, send feedback to feedback at MacPowerUsers.com or find us on Twitter. We are at MacPowerUsers. Katie is at Katie Floyd, and I am at Max Sparky. And otherwise, we will see you next week.